0: act like you're, you're tired. Amen. So good to see you. And if you have to, run across the front and find somebody to speak to. Amen. All right. Hey, we're looking forward to what God's going to do this morning. As I said earlier, uh, we, I'm excited. I always come to church excited about what God's doing. I hope that you uh, do as well. I want to say about our small groups, our house-to-house groups, what we call neighborhood or small groups, house-to-house. We do that because we call it small groups because we know that uh, the Bible says in Acts that they went from from house-to-house, pretty clever. But anyway, we use that as a playoff of that. So we're glad that all of those are in full force. They're moving forward. We've had a great time. Last uh, Saturday, we had a men's house-to-house group had a great group of men, had a great conversation, great talk. And I'll tell my leaders that are doing this, you know, sometimes we get all caught up in curriculum because we're trying to figure out the right curriculum that we need to share with them. But it's more about the time that we get to spend together and most of the time, that time leads into a curriculum. It leads into a time of being able to encourage each other and worship together. And I'm looking forward this week. I know the, I know that the students' uh, ministry, the student ministry, RC Student Ministries, had a movie night last night. And I know they had a great time. And then 100-100, which is our small group that we're doing for those that have been married for less than five years, we have been having a great turnout and really a good time. We, have, I mean just an exciting time. And we're showing a special outdoor movie. If uh, everything, the weather holds and everything looks like, we're going to have good time. And we're going to have a, uh, everybody together. And we're excited about that. We pick out special things. But we've been growing together, and that's what it's all about. We understand that, as we say in our video announcements, that everybody grows at different rates. Not everybody's the same. And that's why we've got a nursery, and those, that nursery is for children. And we ask you to take them there. And then we've got today, I would not, I, I'll be honest with you, if I wasn't in here, I'd want to be over in Children's Church because Pastor Ted's over there, and they're going to have a good time. And he lets them uh enjoy themselves but he preaches and teaches the word of God to them we're not here and they're not here to babysit those children but we want to see them grow in God we want to see them develop we want them to see them become young men and women of God and so we are uh, doing something that's a little bit different and I'm taking a few moments to share with you some things that I think are encouraging and that is we're teaching some of these teens and these young people that are coming out of these uh, out of uh, youth or they're in the youth department, or they're out of children's church, teaching them how to uh, help with the cameras, run the camera, because we want to develop in a place where we're not just running uh, one camera from the back. We're running multiple cameras. Uh, we, we're we teaching them how to run sound and audio. We want them to be trained. We want them to know how. We're not just filling a vacancy. but We want them to know, hey, if that's your interest, we want it to be part of your purpose. Come on, somebody. If it's part of your purpose, then you're fulfilling what God would have you to do. And if I didn't know what my purpose was, I'd be doing everything I could to find out and dig and to find what my purpose is. And I can't get into next year because 2019's not here and we're not even through with 2018. But we got some great things lined up already coming to pass. We've already got something in January I'm not going to share right now, but it's coming and it's going to be really, really good. And so we're excited about that. You ought to be excited about it. You ought to be encouraged. You ought to be telling somebody else. I love what I do and I love the church that I attend. And so I'm thankful for you and I, I love each one of you. The church is not this building. This church, the church is not this building. It's the people who attend. It's the people who come. And you make worth, you make it worth showing up and being here. And I'm going to serve Jesus regardless, but I'm going to preach somewhere too. If it's in a, if it's in a tent on the corner of a street somewhere, I'm going to preach somewhere because that's what God's called me to do. That's part of my purpose. Amen. So when you find out what your purpose is, amen, be involved in that purpose. So let's go and we're going to be going to, um, this morning to First Samuel 16, and I'll just give you a little bit of a, I'll give you a, I'll give you a little bit of an insight here, a help. Uh, you know, I told you, look on your, if you've got an iPad or your iPhone or whatever device you're using, and you put that there, but if you've got your Bible, a good thing you could do this week is go and like stick your marker in First Samuel 16, and when you show up to church, you just be like, have it flipped open. And you're ready because we're going to be there for the next few weeks, 16 and 17. And everybody who think you really got it going on. You're not looking, you know, th- through those. I tried the little tabs one time, but they never worked for me. I always, it just confused me a little bit more. I end up ripping them out. We're glad you're here. The Word of God's important in your life. First Samuel 16. Last week, we started this series on slings and stones. We talked about a word, a one word called anointing. That one word anointed or anointing means that God has purposed me and He's marked me for something. God never intended your life just to show up at church, just to hang out in a chair, and just hope that everything turns out and you get to heaven. God's marked you, He's called you, and He's purposed you. Listen to me, if you've got a pulse in your life, you've got a purpose in your life. I watch people we can see from cameras on the uh, inside the office of people kind of strolling in on Sunday mornings and they're coming into the sanctuary and I, I and in my mind a lot of times I wonder you know and I'm not trying to but point at anybody, but just say, I wonder, Lord, do they really understand what their purpose is? Do they understand that their purpose is bigger than what they think? Their purpose is bigger than showing up five minutes before church and just enjoying what everybody else has done and what everybody else is doing, but you've got something bigger for them, and they don't even realize it yet, but God, if they have a pulse and they walk through that door, we believe they've got purpose in their life. And that purpose is not just that our hearts belong to Christ, but that we're willing to serve in that purpose. Amen. Amen. Now I want to share with you something, a one word today. And you can write this down. It's a word called gifted. The word gifted. When I met my wife over 30 years ago, and she was singing in the car we were riding in, I was like hubba hubba. this girl can sing. (laughs) And everybody knows in here that I keep my singing to the shower or to the radio in the car when I'm by myself. So that was no. But the Lord showed me that my wife was very gifted. She didn't just say she could sing, she could sing. And the thing was, even though I can't sing, I know when you can and you can't. (laughs) It's very obvious. My dad taught music for years and years, and I know flats and sharps. (laughs) And I've heard people that were very flat and some people that were very sharp and some people that couldn't even find the flat or the sharp. They were just somewhere crazy in the middle. But God had not gifted me to sing, but he had gifted her. And so today, here's what I need you to understand. God did not call you to be her. He didn't call you to be me. He called you to be you. But what I need you to get out of this message is that you are gifted. Your giftedness may be an administration. Your giftedness may be pounding nails into a piece of wood because you're a carpenter. It may be that you're a plumber. It may be, But God has gifted you. Yeah. Amen. That's worth, amen, uh, shouting over right there. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Let me start there. Next week we'll get to Goliath. But this week we've got to start here. So David stood among his brothers. We touched a little bit on this last week. Samuel took the flask of oil he had brought. He anointed David with the oil. Basically, a flask of oil would have been something that was like maybe a horn from something that was closed up and had a cork on one end. It could have been a bottle. It could have been several things, but it had oil in it. The oil was significance of the anointing that was upon his life or the marked part of his life. Let me, let me give this to you. I'm using Pastor Bethany as this. When she sings, she's, there is a mark upon her life that she's gifted for that area. It, it, it's obvious. It's just obvious. We didn't pour oil over her, but there is an anointing also. Because hear this, you can, be, you can have a gift to sing or to do a lot of other things and still not really be anointed. Because the anointing really signifies that God has set you apart and marked you for a specific purpose. So the Bible says this. Let's look again. After the oil was poured on him, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully. From that day on, and then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. Saul was the current king at the time. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit and filled him Uh, filled him with depression and fear. Now most scholars believe that where that says the Lord sent a tormenting spirit, it basically means that He turned him over and allowed the spirit to torment him. Did you know that the Lord builds a hedge around His people? I said the Lord builds a hedge around His people. I'm thankful that God can keep us from a lot of tormenting things that the enemy would try to bring at us. But I believe that in this, the enemy was allowed to uh, torment him and to deal with him. Look at look at what it says. So some of Saul's servants said to him, "A tormenting spirit from from the Lord is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp when the tormenting spirit troubles you. It will play in, uh, play soothing music, and you will soon be well again." All all. Uh, uh, all right, Saul said, "Find me someone, look at this, who plays well." Notice the first thing he said was, "Let us find somebody who can uh, the people said, "Let us find somebody that plays good." Saul said, "Let me find somebody that plays well and then bring him to me." One of the servants said to Saul, "Hey, we've been on a, we're on a job hunt. We're on a job hunt. One of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not Only that, look at this, he's a brave warrior. So they're giving his resume. Hey, this dude can jam down on a harp. I've seen him play air harp, you know, while we were riding along. And this dude is good. I talked to someone, my youngest son, who, uh, of course, is not here and on staff uh, at a church and and gives himself and has gave, gave himself volunteering for many many years just to be a part of something that was bigger than him. He would give hours and hours of that time but he could, he was a very good guitarist and he still is a good guitarist. And he would play he could play the guitar and I would sit and watch him and I would think my goodness, you know, if I'd have just if I'd have just tried a little bit harder if I would have worked on that talent a little bit more what I could have been but he so far surpassed me in that talent because he, he's, a good, he's a good guitarist he worked on it he would stay in his room and he would work on that ability he would work on that giftedness that God had given him and so look at what it says Says, not only is this guy a good harpist, but he's also a brave warrior, a man of war, and he has good judgment. He also is a fine looking young man. He's a good harpist, he's a warrior, and he looks good. He's got some stuff going on with him. Are you with me? So Saul sent messages to Jesse to say, Send me your son David, uh, the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul with a young goat and a donkey loaded with bread and full of wineskins full of wine. Saul, so David went to Saul at the begin, and began to serve him. Somebody say serve him. He's serving him. So Saul, uh, Saul loved David very much. Wow. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Now an armor bearer is something we don't have a lot of time to get into, but basically he stood by Saul's side. He basically made sure that whatever Saul needed, he got. That if he needed a cup of water, uh, he went and got it. Are you with me? But the Bible says that Saul loved David. And then it says this, Then he sent word to Jesse, Please allow David to remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And wherever this tormenting spirit from God has troubled me, Saul said, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. Let's pray. Father, we ask you for the next few minutes that we'll all lean in, hear your word. God, that we will receive this, uh, Lord, this word that, we, that you've given to us. And we pray that, Father, we'll leave different today. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. The Bible teaches us, just to give you a little bit of background here, that the spirit of the Lord has, des- has departed Saul. The spirit of the Lord is gone. Now, how do you know that the Spirit of the Lord is gone from Saul, the Bible tells us? (laughs) Reading it, we know that this spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is gone. A tormented spirit, an evil spirit has come from God. And again, most scholars agree that basically he was given over to this spirit. Saul was already given himself over. How does it happen to disobedience? If you want to know how you can be troubled from a spiritual thing, disobey God. Don't show up to church when you ought to be in church and you know God, you know you should be there. Don't do what God's called you to do. Get out of your purpose and don't serve in your purpose. Live how you want to live. Just be disobedient. Because if I ask you today and I said to you today, what, what constitutes, uh, your children getting correction in your house? Most of you would say, well, if they don't do what I say, Because in in our minds, we're really saying we want to control them. But you know, like I know, you can't control your kids. Half the time, you can't control yourself. But the truth of it is, God allows you to control yourself, but you can't control somebody else. So how do we know to correct our kids? When they're disobedient, we correct them, right? God says, when you disobey me and you do it intentionally, then I'm going to have to deal with you. I don't want to. It's not what I want to. It's not what I want to do. So Saul had done it so much that finally, look at this, God says, hey, look, I'm just going to turn him over. And turning him over simply meant this, that he could have asked forgiveness. He could have offered the sacrifice. He could have been forgiven many, many times over. But Saul chose to disobey God. Look at this, so many times that God quit dealing with him. I'm going to tell you something. You better hear what this pastor is saying if you don't get any of these other points. Listen to me. When God's dealing with your heart and you just keep turning a deaf ear and you choose to turn around and say, God, I don't really need to hear what you've got to say. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't want to do it because I need to spend my time here. I need to spend my time there. And God's saying to you, son, daughter... I'm telling you this is what you should be doing. This is your purpose. Is it about your life or is it about the life I've given you? Is it about your purpose or is it about the purpose of God that I've given into you that I have for you to do? Because if you're not yourself and you don't move in your purpose, then somebody's not getting what God really wanted them to give. And finally God says, okay you want to have it your way? You want to do it your way? Then I'll allow you to do it your way. But you're going to be miserable. It's going to get miserable in your home. It's going to get miserable in your life it's going to get miserable around your friends it's going to be miserable around me now I'm giving you a space of grace I want you to correct yourself I want you to walk in the way of the Lord but you do what you feel like is necessary and we keep turning and we keep turning away from God and we keep saying God I just really don't want to listen there will come a point because God is only required God has only said that he would deal with us one time and anything after that is grace and so Saul kept ignoring God and kept ignoring God's Spirit. You know what people do when they get in trouble? They either run to God or from God. And it's sad. It's sad as a pastor that I can watch people and I can see them and I can see the trek they're on. And I'll say, you know what? I don't know what's going on, but they're getting distant. Bethany and I will talk about it. So they will get. they're getting distant. And usually, when they get distant from the pastor, they're trying to get distant from God. Not because I am God, thank God, but because they recognize there's a spiritual anointing and a word that's down inside of them, and what they feel like is as long as i 'm around them, i 'll feel that conviction i'll feel like i 'm not living where I need to be i 'll feel like i 'm not doing what I need to be doing, so i 'll push myself away i 'll keep pushing myself away i 'll keep bringing distant listen to me i 'm going to tell you, God will deal with your heart, He will deal with your spirit and you don't need to be close to this pastor but you need to be close to God when you draw near to God he'll draw near to you but you keep pushing God away and God will let you do your own thing I got a lot to preach and a little time to get it but I'm gonna do my best David became the greatest king of all of Israel because now the Bible says Saul has been rejected the Bible says that he is known as a national hero. When we get to chapter 17, we're going to find him defeating the Goliath, which is where we're going next week. But before we can do that, we've got to look at David's backstory. And most of us see David in all of his glory, but we really don't know his full story. Isn't it something they will, people will watch and they'll see somebody. Uh, uh, let, we could use a lot of examples. This, you know, you watch somebody on TV. You watch somebody up here that you've seen and you'll say, man, that's so great. And and I wonder how they have that kind of glory, how they have that kind of anointing. Can I tell you, usually behind a great glory upon somebody's life, there is a great, big, huge story. Something happened in their life where God spun them around and looked them eye to eye and gave them a second chance and said, I won't let you go to hell. I'm going to pull you out, but you got to be willing to step up and step out. Come on, somebody. I'm going to preach whether you help me or not. Amen. Look at this. There's four things real quickly we're going to look at. They stand out in this text, and I'm going to try to move through it as quickly as I can. Before David could ever do what we know about him, when I say the story of David, what do you think the biggest story most of the time comes to people's minds? David and Goliath. We remember that from Sunday school. We remember him having sling or the sling, whatever he had. We remember all of that. We remember the things that he had in his life. But listen to this. Before David would ever have the gift or or ever take down the giant, look at this, God would have to develop David's gift. David would be developed while he was in the court with Saul. You know, it's easy to get overwhelmed by someone's gift. People say, I'll have people say to me, Pastor, how in the world can you preach three times a week, four times? I've done a lot of things. revivals straight for two weeks. I've done a lot of different things. How can you do that? Well, when God's gifted you, sometimes you see the gifting on that person and you think there's no story behind that gifting. But the truth of it is, there's usually a big story. I said that a minute ago, but I need you to get it again. Because I've had people say, well, I wish I could do this like you or do this like that person. There is a cost usually to the story. You, you don't know what I've been through to get where I am. You don't know what I walked through to get where I am. You don't know the hell that I had to deal with just to get where I am. You, you don't know. You, don't, you didn't know the times when I was holding a baby on one hip and Bethany trying to lead singing and kids tucked up under the chairs and just being in the nursery and cutting the grass and, and elbows deep in dishwaters during homecoming. You don't know those stories. You may not know all of that. So before you look and say, I want His glory, know the story. And the ne- next thing is, you can't have it. You've got to get your own. You've got to move in your own. You've got to say, God, I'm willing for you to move in me. I- I'm willing for you to do the work in me, God. Amen. And God can. He will. But before David would ever kill Goliath, there's a gift that's being developed in him. we remember the story of David and Goliath. And what it will do is that gift was so strategic or or, or what God was doing, the developing of that gift, look at this, would move David from out herding sheep into the king's palace, learning all the king's protocols. God has anointed you. God has marked you to accomplish an assignment. But listen, before that can happen, it has to be developed. The gift has to be developed in you in order to turn around the world that you're living in. So the first thing I need you to get from this is that diligence, right? If you're writing down, this would be a good one. Diligence will develop what God's gifted in your life. Diligence will develop what God's gifted in your life. Diligence. Somebody say diligence. Somebody say you can't get it if you don't show up. A lot of people want to bypass the process. And there's a process to any uh, any type of gifting in your life just because you think you're halfway good at something doesn't mean that you have fully reached your potential in that God usually takes that stuff and develops it in your life. are you with me so how long did david we we already determined he was a good harpist y'all know that right we talked about it. he's a good harpist now when I think of a harp i don't think we, i don't think of this tiny little uh, thing you set on a table and you strum it. They call that an auto harp. You've seen that in bluegrass and some southern gospel. When I think of a harp, you know what I'm talking about, right? David has to practice it. Now, how many remember what David was before he ever went to the king's palace? He's a shepherd. Now I'm going to tell you something, I don't know, but all the shepherds that I've ever seen and the stories with them, I don't see like this music house where they keep all their instruments. You know what I'm talking about? They got their banjos hanging up, their guitars hanging up, and the bass hanging up, and they got their mandolin, I mean they got their mandolin hanging up, and they got their harp stand. And David, the Bible says, was a good harpist. He's young. We've already determined he was between 10 and 13 when he got called before Saul. Now, we don't know exactly how old he is, but can you imagine David becoming a good harpist? He's watching his father's youth. Is he toting this thing around? I don't know. It ain't like a guitar. It don't fit up in your mama's SUV like the trumpet would. Come on. Aren't you glad that your kids, when they come home, you know, they talk them all up in this band thing? They talk them all up. And I I think band's great. We've had a lot of people come through. There's a few things that I think they could do different. But they go into band and they don't want to sell you this this $100 instrument. They they want you to pay like you're paying on this instrument. And so you got this kid comes home and he's going to play trombone. (laughs) He's going to play the tuba. It takes a U-Haul to carry the thing. Think about David and him playing this harp. He didn't come home. They didn't say in the Bible, David was a good piccolo player. He was a good harpist. Are you with me? And so David has to practice diligently on this harp at some point. And I don't think it was out in the father's field. I don't think he had a, a shack where his where his instruments were. But the Bible says that he did play it enough that he became good at it. Here's the, here's the thought of that. Most of us want the benefit of the gifted giftedness that God has put in us but we don't want the process that it takes to prepare the gift there's a running joke in my neighborhood with some of the retired ministers there or retired people not ministers that the pastor the resident pastor gets his messages each week either by UPS or FedEx I'm here to bust that that myth it doesn't happen that way Somebody's got to dig in. Especially if you spent 17 years preaching to a lot of the same people who want to hear something different. You better know how to dig in. Come on, somebody. You've got to go through the process. So it's in this place that God puts that inside of us. But it's never been developed. And you have to develop the gift. Somebody say, you develop it. How do you develop it? Well, first of all, through diligence. You'll never experience... The destiny that you were born into. I, I believe with all of my heart that God, uh, what, before I was ever born, was I was destined to preach the word. I, I believe that. And no matter what I tried to do, there was always that direction or that some pointer saying, Hey, you got to preach the word. And, and, and many times I've tried to step back and say, God, maybe I needed to do something different. This isn't quite going like I wanted it to go. And when I do, I get miserable because I realize that's what God has divinely destined me to do. Come on, somebody. You'll realize that in your life. But here's the thing. You've got to be careful that it doesn't happen overnight. Just because somebody says you can preach or you can sing doesn't mean that the first thing you need to do is get up in front of 500 to 1,000 people you need to develop that gift and it takes time to develop it I'm going somewhere with that God gifted, God calls but he also wants you to prepare yourself somebody say you got to dig it out amen be careful when you envy somebody else's gift my son, my youngest son I preach about him a little bit because he's the one sometimes that he, he can take this He takes this really good. When I got the motorcycle that I have now, or one of them, but I know the one that I have now, he said, Dad, I'd like to have a motorcycle like that. I said, Son, you can. But there's a payment book that goes along with it. Are y'all with me? Some of y'all have been married for 20 plus years. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all have been married less than that. You do understand it. If you've only been married for six months to a year, you don't quite understand this yet, but you will. Because when you get older, not only are you paying for your stuff, but you're paying for the kids' stuff. And I want to be honest with you. The kids' stuff just gets bigger. The toys just get more expensive. And, and, And they get to the point where they think, and they'll say, well, Dad, I'm just going to use this for example. You're driving a BMW. Why can't I? Because you don't have a job yet. And you don't know that when me and Mama got married, we wasn't riding in no BMW. Are you with me? We didn't start out that way. Well, I want a house like this. You can. But there is a payment. And we didn't start out here in this. We were in a 400 square foot blocked up house that we ran into each other that you could literally eat off the kitchen, the, the living room couch on the dining room table. And when, you, when I got in bed, it was like this. Y'all anybody with me? Here's the thing. God's gifted you. But you're going to have to dig that gift out in your life and there is a cost. There's a payment. If you want to pray like Cindy does, then you need to get in there and begin to pray. You need to get around somebody that knows how to pray. There is a a cost for that. Say, well, Pastor, what if I want to sing like Pastor Bethany? Well, I do too, but I ain't never been able to. So what I've learned in those kinds of cases are she'll say to me, just... Just preach, don't sing. It's better for me to pay somebody to sing and me do the preaching. Come on, y'all with me? Bring in Eddie James. Let him sing for a while. He can do what I can't do. He can preach and sing. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? So the giftings that come together. Y'all remember this. We're going to move on to the next one. Look at this. Y'all got stuff for your kids. Christmas, I just want to encourage you today. It's like less than, like 88 days or something like that. 88 days that you got to finalize all your Christmas gifts. I remember when our kids were little, Christmas time would come around, and my wife and I would decide they were going to get one big gift. Did anybody else do that? You buy them all the smaller stuff, but you buy them this one big gift. And usually what happens is, you know, I remember getting our kids things like, uh, you know, and it looks so good on the showroom floor. You know, Walmart at one time didn't put them all together for you all the time. Kmart didn't. You know, you bought it, and they brought you this box out. Y- y'all remember those days? I mean, Walmart's doing you a favor, and I'm kind of, you know, maybe plugging it there. But they, they, put it, they can put them together for you. But back in the day when you got a bike from Kmart, they didn't put it together. They drug it in a box Loaded it up in the back of your car if it would fit. Then you got at Christmas Eve at midnight because the kids wouldn't go to bed. And you got to put this thing together. Somebody say, some assembly required. Your gifting in your life ought to have a warning label that says, some assembly required. You got to put it together. It don't just happen overnight. It just doesn't happen the way that a lot of people think that it does. So, listen to this. Somebody say diligence is the first way. All right, let's move on. Everybody, ready to move on? Y'all, ready to move on? Let me tell you one last story before we move on to that one. Heard the story about a farmer. This, uh, it was, it, let me back up. It was a preacher. It'd be better if you tell about a preacher, wouldn't it? And uh, this preacher buys this farm. And this farm, he, he's like, he's, he's ready to kind of lay back a little bit and do some farming. Now, we may have some people in here that's done some farming, but I'm going to tell you something. If you don't get the right place, you just bought you, you, just bought you a natural hole in the ground to throw money into. Because you replace fences and barns and you can do all of that kind of stuff. So this guy bought him a natural hole in the ground. And he took a long time fixing it up, repairing it, putting the fences up, building the barn back, doing everything he could to get everything where it needed to be. Several years went by. He was proud as he could be of his farm. Everything's in place. All the pigs are where they need to be. All the trees have been, you know, trimmed. All the shrubs have been, you know, it's ready. The hayfield's cut everything. Several years. And the local farmer stops by the preacher's farm. And the preacher rears back and says, yeah, looks pretty good, doesn't it? He's shaking his head. And the farmer said, preacher, you've done a good job here. You've done a really good job. Got all the fences mended, buildings, the house looks great. This is a beautiful farm. You and the Lord have done a great job. Farmer eased back and said, hmm, you should have seen it when the Lord had it by himself. Some of y'all get that later on. you got to work it out. you got to dig in. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. Let me me move on. I'm going to skip to number two. A commitment to excellence. Somebody say excellence. David was excellent at what he did because God made him capable. He gifted him. When I first started out in ministry, I was told these words. Son, just love people and preach the word. That sounds really good, and it will work for a while. But I have learned you better know something about the word you're preaching. That's why there's so much marking in this Bible. You better know something about what you're talking about. And I have learned and I have heard people and I knew, and I, I keep, you know, I touch on this. Uh, you know, they are doing things, and I thought to myself, you know what, They they might would do better teaching. They might would do better singing, whatever way that it is. But you learn, and you figure out that we have a lot of Christians that want to separate spirituality from skill. Somebody say excellence. And everything we do here... We want to do it with excellence. That you may come to me, and I'll every now and again have somebody say, Pastor, why do you do this the way that you do it? I want everybody looking at me Listen listening to what I'm going to say. Pastor Bethany and I, and then we'll send and we'll take, and this year, this next year coming up, we've got it again coming up. We'll take and send people to the places that we feel like are doing it with an excellent spirit. They're doing what they do very well. Their growth is, is it's, it's obvious. There, when you walk through their building there's not somebody you're wondering who's supposed to be at the door there's somebody taking care of parking lot you know where first- time guests are supposed to park at you understand that the church uh, when the church is uh, you know needing to be serviced or cleaned or the bathrooms they they understand that we we go and we see that it's just a few broad things nobody wondering who's supposed to do that Because everybody that's in that church, for the most part, 90 plus percent, are not on staff, staff, but they're actually volunteering. Which is what we ask more than 90% of the people here in the church to do is volunteer. To serve in a purpose. And the reason is because we want to get spiritual about some things. And other things we really just kind of let go. We want to be super spiritual about a service and if it wasn't the right shout and it wasn't the right volume or volume or it wasn't the right song or hymn or it wasn't the right something then we want to point our finger and say well back in the day when I went to church I loved it, this is the one I love where we used to go every pastor wants to hear that he he wants to hear that No, he doesn't. They'll ask, why do you do what you do the way that you do it? Why do you move? Why do you change? Why does things get different in the church? If you don't like difference, you're not going to like here. We do that because we feel like there are things that need to move. You get complacent at your house and things stay the same and you may never recognize that it's the same, but I'm going to tell you, people do. People that show up and they've been to your house ten years ago, and they go, they eh, had the same stuff. It ain't, you know, they never painted, they never did anything here. You may not recognize it, but other people do recognize it. So here's the thing: we go find the most excellent practices we can in other places and bring one or two things back, and we say, here, this is what this would be a good practice for us. This would help us grow the church. This would help us to serve in excellence. Why? Because nobody wants to go to a bank that don't know where their money is. Nobody wants to go to to a store and buy something that people don't care that they're there. That's why greeters are important at the door. I'm going to preach this till I die. They they don't want to go to a place. You know what I had somebody tell me years ago? We, We just home folk. Do you know what they just said? They said we don't care whether we ever grow or not. We just want to be a few handful of people in a community. We just want to be us. You know what they just said? I'm going to break it down. Are you all ready? Because I'm just plain smoking. remember? John Link? They just said, we want our four to go to heaven, and the rest of them go, can go to hell in a handbasket. I, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Why would you even have the thought pattern that you don't care about somebody else? Why would you think? Listen to me. When you read the Bible, when you find out why David was chosen, why he did what he did, it was because he was a good harpist. He was a great musician. He served with excellence. And see, if I preach one way, you know, people kind of get, you know, it's one, it, maybe they think, is he talking about me? Look, here. I got more to do than to plan my messages around who's going to be here. I'm just sharing with you where we are. I'm just putting my feet up on the coffee table and saying, hey, guys, this is what needs to happen. If you want your growth, we're in a, tr- look, everybody look at me if you can see me. We're in a very much a transitional period right now. Huge. And I'm, you know, some of you that watched football yesterday, you watched some third down stuff that basically cost them the game. They like, lost the game because they were in the most important down of the night and they lost it because of that. Nobody else saw any of that. I watched one or uh, two or tried to watch a little bit and I'd say they're beating themselves. They're beating themselves. They're beating themselves. They got nine penalties. They're beating themselves. They're beating themselves. Do you know what? There's a lot of people that don't come and won't come to church because we're beating ourselves. We're literally beating ourselves when we'll step up and say, I don't, you know what? If the pastor did it that way and that's what he thought was best, hey, let's go with it. Let's try it out. Let's see what's going to happen next. Let's see how things move ahead. But I got to be willing to move. I got to be willing to do what God wants me to do. I got to be willing to say, you know what? If that's on his heart, If that's what God, if he's leading him there, and we're not all in here drinking purple Kool-Aid and chanting some kind of chants. Some of you too young to remember that. But uh, anyhow, let's go. Let's do it. If we can build the kingdom of God, but let's do it with excellence. Let's do it with everything we've got. I said something to my wife one time. I said, you know why? Their kids won't come because they spend all their time talking about what's wrong. And that's why kids, they're grown, but they won't come anymore. Sometimes it ain't just younger ones. We've been doing a study in here on John, uh, it's a John Bevere study, and they get into talking about disrespect and not just respecting the pastor, respecting civil leaders, respecting adults, respect, respecting people that are in the church. And I said, I told them one week, I'm, I'm just listening. Pastor Ted's been leading the class. I said, the reason that sometimes that happens is because they talk about those people beforehand. Bethany said, it wasn't a young child. I don't know whether it was or not. She said it was not, and so I'm going to go with that. But the first thing I saw I saw on one of the games was everybody knows that Dan Mullins had moved to Florida, and if you didn't know that, well, I, you know, we're breaking the news to you. I'm sorry. But anyway, he's down there, and you know, the Gators are chomp, 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 and everybody up Mississippi State's like, You left us. You sorry, dog. You you would never, dog. You would never no good, blah, 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 and all of that. And so they panned the camera, and everybody's got these shirts on, got these big signs up about no Dan and all this stuff and all the, you know, how bad this and all that kind of, and it was a kid, and it, I thought it was a kid. She said it wasn't a kid. Went. And the first thing that went through my mind was this. If it wasn't a child, I missed it. I thought it was. But here's the first thing that went through my mind. Listen to me. Was, you know what, the reason that child will do that, he don't know enough about football to do that. He don't know enough about Dan Mullins and what he's making and what he needed to do to do that. He's doing that because he learned it from his parents. Now, again, I said that to make a point. It's important that if our kids are going to lo- love God, serve God, and do what we're supposed to do with excellence, they've got to see us doing it. We've got to model that in front of them. Well, come on, somebody. We've got to model that in front of them. What happened to us? Jesus said, you've lost your first love. You think you're still in love with me, but you're not because you don't keep my commandments. You don't even do what I ask you to do. You're doing your own thing and living your own way. I've asked you to live and serve in excellence. All I want you to do is to try to get to heaven. I want you to be there and take as many people as you can. So, it doesn't matter because we say this. It doesn't matter as long as my heart's in the right place. No, God expects a heart to be pure, to use the skill or the giftedness that he's given you and the excellence and all of it to be done for the right reason. Here's a business plan. This gets you to understand why a little bit of why we do what we do here. Do what you do and do it well operate in such, with such integrity that nobody has to wonder whether you're telling a lie or the truth. Because I'm going to tell you something. It don't take but one lie to ruin you. It don't take but one deceptiveness. Just being open and honest with people. I think Cindy said it one time. Pastor, one of the things I love about you, just you're just honest. I said, well, I can't be any other way. My dad taught me not to be dishonest. And I'll just be open with you. I'll tell you. But look at this. Here's a business plan. Do what you do. Do it well. Operate with such integrity. Such integrity that people know that you are so above board. Look at this. Listen. Everybody hear this. That you don't need a Jesus Fish logo on the back of your car to convince them that you are okay. I'm going to say something here. Please do not misunderstand me. We're videoing it. We can go back and watch it. My heart is pure. My intentions are pure. Pastor, one, this ain't that church. This is another church. When we operate, we operate with an excellence. I've heard people say, they ain't no crosses. How come they ain't no crosses? I love crosses. Jesus died on a cross. But I want to be honest with you, the cross represents to me suffering and pain and shame. It represents all that Jesus did for me. But I'm going to tell you, before, look at this. There's a lot of people who wear, and if you've got one on, I'm not looking at you. i got my eyes closed. It wear a cross on their neck that's so far from Jesus all the time. Listen to this real quick. I want us to operate in such a way in this church that people know that we are about Jesus without me having to have a cross at the front door or behind and there's nothing wrong with that please don't misunderstand me don't misunderstand we're going to preach about the cross we've done that many times we'll bring them in here it's important that we do that my point is simply this we need to be able to operate as what god has called us to with a spirit of excellence that we don't have to convince people that we're christian we don't have to, we don't have to, contend. they're going to know, your kids know that you love them without you telling them that you love them. You're going to, you're going to say I love you, but don't you believe that if you don't tell your kids one day how hey, I love you, I mean, you missed that somehow, You they got up in a hurry, they left in a hurry, they came home in a hurry, you know, all of the things, and you didn't say to them you love them, and they went to bed and went, they don't love me. They know you love them. Why? Because you operate in a spirit of love. They know you're loving them. They know you're taking care of them. You don't have to have a bumper sticker on their door of their bedroom that says, Daddy loves you, Mama loves you. They know that you love them. Look, the church, the business of the church ought to operate in such a way that it's like the giftedness that David had. It oozes off of us. Those people got the love of God. They got the love of God such in their heart that you can sense it when you walk in they serve with such a spirit of excellence. They they got the doors for you. You ain't got to touch the door. They're asking, can they do anything for you? They're trying to help you. They're trying to make sure that somehow or another because we want, when your neighbors show up and when your kin folks show up, that they say, I don't know what it is and we hear this a lot. I don't know what it is about that church up there on the corner of Indiana and Lee Road. Part of it is we got Jesus. Hear this. David had Jesus. But what brought him before the king was Wasn't that he had God? I just blew some theology. It doesn't say that. The Bible says it it goes only, and the first two qualifications wasn't that he had God. The qualifications was that he was a good harpist, that he did it with excellence, that he was a great musician. He said, We don't want to get the cart ahead of the horse, we're not. We've got to live our lives and be and exist in this body of Christ that people aren't having to guess whether we're Christian or not. That's the point of all of this. That's the point of what I just took 10 minutes to say. We don't want them guessing. All right. Let the emails come, the phone calls. Look at this. I know a lot of Christians that know all the right words to say, but their actions say otherwise. Let me give it to you real simple. Here's how you, without saying it, without having to say it. Here it is. If you're a mechanic, be a good mechanic. Be a mechanic that fixes the cars as much on time as you possibly can at a fair rate. And you know what? Nobody can argue with that. If you're an accountant, then you ought to do your job with accuracy. You ought to do it to the best of your ability. You ought to give everything you can in what God's called you to do. If it's done for God, then it ought to be done in excellence. You say, well, pastor, I thought that was perfectionism. No. Perfectionism is rooted in a competitive spirit that says, I got to be best. And that's not what we're saying. That's not God's spirit at all. We're saying that an excellent spirit says, I want to bring my best to God. Did you get it? Psalms 90 and 17 says, And may the Lord our God show us His approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. We're we about done here. Getting close. Y'all get ready f- to help me here in just a moment with some music. Kind of low, please. The sun, when I go out on my patio, I'm up most, most mornings before the sun comes up. It. It's not something that I choose. It's the way my body is wired. I, I don't make 10, 30, and 11 o'clock sleep-ins. I just I can't do it. I can't even get nine. I have prayed, Lord, just let me sleep. I don't. And it's just me. It's just me. <clears throat> and so my patio on the back of the house, just a little small spot there, in the mornings, I have a routine like you do. Kind of look in the mirror and say, "Devil, I'm not your man today." <laughs> Come on, somebody, I'm not your man today. So just you just go on, leave me alone. Before you even start, when I get up, I usually do a few little things. Coffee, a little coffee and a lot of Jesus goes a long way. It's not Facebook for me. It's not Twitter. It's not Instagram. It's coffee. I mean, I cannot be grumpy without Instagram, <laughs> but without coffee. Anyway, I had a doctor one time said he was listening to his intern. He said, Can I ask you, Mr. Winkler, have you had some coffee today? This is the truth. He was in Dr. Ford's office. Dr. Masterson was out that day. He said, Have you had some coffee today? He was an intern. I said, I hadn't punched you square in the nose yet. He looked back at me, and he laughed. And he said, well, I I just noticed your heart rate was up a little bit. So get the coffee. You get the coffee going, right? Step out on the patio. Because I got this little alarm clock that follows me. and He's ready to go. At 6, 5, he's ready to go. He wakes up going... What are we doing today? I let him outside. There's a lot of mornings, Jeremy. On this side of my patio, through the trees, the sun starts to come up. I can see it. And I'll see that sun come up, and I think in my mind, you know what? Who told that sun to come up this morning? He did. And there's a lot of times that I'll see that sun come up and I'll look at it and I'll say, good morning, Lord. Because to me, that's God's way of kissing me and saying, hey, buddy, good morning. You wouldn't have had that beautiful scenery if I hadn't have done that. But there's another practice that I have gotten into. Y'all ready for this one? It's okay, I'm I'm closing. That sun starts breaking up before that, that tree and I'll say, good morning, Lord. Good job. Did God need that from you? Is it all right if I said it? Absolutely. i say, good job. Why? Because when you do something good, don't you like to hear, hey, you did a good job? I know a, a men, us men do, if we clean up our own mess. We like to hear all I say, good job, honey. we wash the dishes, good job honey come on somebody, we vacuum the house good job honey, listen to me I want you to know when the sun comes up and you get a chance to see it, you ought to say good job Lord, thank you because the Bible says the universe short shouts the praises of his excellence, you don't believe that Psalms 8 and 9, oh Lord our Lord our God, how majestic his name is and fills the earth we're getting ready to close here, I'm going to share this last thing did you know that God created you? First of all, He created you does anybody remember number one? I'm closing. Diligence, you gotta do it with diligence. Secondly, you need to do it with excellence. Did you know that when God created you, He created you in a uniqueness? We're gonna do three today. Did you know that? 1 Samuel 16 and 18, the Bible says, one of Saul's servants said, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem's talented harp player. Not only that, he is a warrior, a brave man of war, of good judgment. He's also a good looking young man, and the Lord's with him. That's the last thing. Look at this. Remember what I said? He gives his whole resume, but the last thing they tell is what? The Lord's with him. We're not going to. Yeah, we are. Kelly, can y'all. Pause the other and play this. I, yeah, we're going to close, I promise. This will help you. Turn it up so they can hear it. God calls you in his exescence. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can, I can you tell which thing is not like the other by the time I think? How many remember that? You know what? Listen to me. Look, everybody look at me. You're that one thing that does not look like the other. God did not call you to be like me, and he didn't call me to be like you. He called us uniquely. Somebody would say you're a little bit weird. That's okay. God's into weirdness. He picked me, he picked you. You know what? It's okay. I want you to know that David was unique because he was not just a good musician. He was not just a good harp player. He was all of those things. But in his job, look at this. He's a harp player. He's a musician. Look at what it says. And he's a warrior. Now think about it, guys. When you think about a harp player, do you think about a warrior? Would he have ever gotten in front of Saul if all his resume said was he was a good warrior and he's like 13? No. But look at this. He got in front of Saul because he's singing him to sleep. He's singing him to sleep. But listen to this. God uses your uniqueness, your talents, your abilities, your gifts. Look at this. He can't sing Goliath to sleep. <laughs> he's got to have a sling. So not only is he a good heart player, that gets him into the door. That, that was something, you know, the piccolo playing got him there. But he knows something about a warrior's heart. And one day, we're going to get to this next week. In his uniqueness of being, uh, having a warrior's like heart. He comes to the battle. And there's Goliath. He can't sing him to He can't sing him to sleep, but he better have something more. I want you to know something today. God has called each of you in your uniqueness. You're different. It's okay. It's all right. We don't all look like each other. That's all right. It's okay that it's that way. God will choose you sometimes. I want everybody to stand if you will this morning. Sometimes God chooses you at the intersection of things that doesn't make sense. Let me say it again. God chooses you at the intersection of things that don't make sense. I went to Bible college for media. I didn't go to preach. Met a girl from Pascagoula. Couldn't sing, but she could sing. Spent several years there working, working and serving voluntarily in churches. Even the last church that I pastored for six years before I moved here for God to bring me into a circle, to bring me to a city called Vicksburg so that your life could be touched in a different way. And I'm sure there are people that walk through the doors and said, that preacher is crazy. He is crazy. No, I'm unique. That preacher is stubborn. No, he's diligent. Come on, somebody. That preacher is all the time moving and changing stuff. No, he's serving in excellence and sees that. Listen to me. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Not even you. Father, I ask you now in the name of Jesus. And touch every heart, every life of every person. Father, I ask you today, if there's one person today here that their heart has been ministered to in this service. And Father, they are dealing with, maybe struggling with, maybe, uh, Lord, needing to know whether you, God, really care about them.